Hello, and welcome to the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Becky Morgan, and joining me today is Equalizer's founder and lead editor, Jeff Kasouf. Jeff, how are we doing today? I'm good. I'm excited. We got an international break here, a window, and a uh, couple weeks into the NWSL season, we've got our we've had some fun. So yeah, looking, looking forward to um, all of those things, season getting going, and obviously uh, last international window here before the World Cup. So uh, a lot, a lot happening in a very busy year. Absolutely. And as you said, we are now two weeks into the regular season. So we have a little insight into how teams are performing and have been performing so far and what the health of some of these clubs are in the new year. Um, So some questions I think that we can raise or can be raised about, you know, the health and maybe the the future and sustainability of some of these clubs Uh, as the league continues to expand. And we know that it's going to keep expanding into 2024 and beyond. So we are going to talk about that a little later, but before that, let's talk about the most uh, recently announced expansion. On Tuesday, it was officially announced that the Bay Area would be the 14th team to join the NWSL, and that also makes them the third straight team from California to join the league. And they will be starting play in 2024 alongside the Utah Royals, who were announced a few weeks ago. And this Bay Area team is spearheaded by former players Allie Wagner, Brandy Chastain, Leslie Osborne, and Daniel Slanton. And they're working with a global investment firm, Sixth Street, who will hold the majority ownership stake in the team. So, Jeff, tell me what you think about this news. Yeah, you know, a lot to unpack, obviously. Um, you know, third third straight new team, as you said, you know, I, I guess I'd put the new team caveat with mm-hmm. with the revival of the Utah Royals. But um look, I, I mean a lot here, right? I, I think fifty-three million dollar expansion fee as just the fee, as as we reported on the equalizer, um, and, and others have that um, you know, that number is five or sorry, ten X the previous roughly 10 X, the previous expansion fees that we've seen highest expansion fees that we've seen, which were only paid a couple of years ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, the NWSL as a league has its proof of concept from a business perspective. Um, you look at the investment level from this group from Sixth street, which is, is a major, you know, a major player in the global market, a firm that, that dabbles in, in uh, the B for billions, not, not the M for millions. And I think you just look at, in many ways, this is the trajectory of this league. And, and, you know, I think, um, you and I on this, on this podcast and others that, that we're constantly speaking with, maybe you're not, you know, we're certainly not in the doubter group. I, I had my reservations that they were going to get 50 million for the fee at one point anyway, because, uh, less than a year ago, the number that everybody was talking about, as I reported on this for ESPN and elsewhere was 10 million. Mm-hmm. And then the process happened and the demand was there. They signed, uh, over 60 groups signed non-disclosure agreements. We had many official bids. I don't know if I could qualify that as dozens sort of officially, but a lot of interest, right? And, and that drove that 50 million, 53 million number. Um, so, so I think that means a number of things, right? That the Bay Area, you know, again, another team with, with the majority investment that they have, um, that you would expect to be in this sort of 2.0 version of the league where, uh, it's, teams and ownership groups that are, are pushing the league forward in, in many ways and um, others will need to catch up. And then from a league perspective, 
you know, this all relates, right? They, they got the money. They've got people with money now in the boardroom or more of them. Um, and they can go, you know, th- they're out to market for their media rights. I know that they're looking for major, major money there, at least relative to what they've traditionally gotten, which when you, you look at them producing their own feeds is, is nothing really when you think about it that way. Um, and now they can point to this and say, here's, you know, the demand 53 million. And, and by the way, right, we, you know, this process, they came out of it, not just with the Bay Area, but, you know, we're still waiting for official confirmation, but I can corroborate all the other reporting that Boston is in. It's been approved. It's, it's just a matter of when and, and, you know, the details there, there are the complications of that. But, um, so I think it's ironic in a way. And I wrote this, um, in, in our article, you know, detailing at length this, this bid and this news of, um, the Bay Area group, the four players, Daniel Slayton, um, Ali Wagner, Brandy Chastain, Leslie Osborne, they felt they were ready a year ago. They thought they could have come in for 2023. And, you know, Ali Wagner, as <laughs> direct as she is, as for those of us who know her, calls up Jessica Berman when she gets the job and says, hey, let us know when you're ready to give us the team, right? <laughs> and, and um, you know, Berman says, well, there's going to be a process. And they go through this process, inner circle sports, you know, there's certainly some money being paid there. Um and and the fee goes up and it leads to higher standards and and that's why 6th street gets involved and they come away with you could say you could look at it and say in the end you came away with the same team and they've got one year less to to actually be ready right but um you know i think talking to everybody even those like like wagner they were happy that the process existed because it it made them be better and and the league can come away with knowing that the process existed this is a league that traditionally has never had a process including for expansion there was no real demand it was who who wants a team who's come to us with some interest and let's have a conversation and and that was it and it wasn't this bidding process so um you know i i think from a league perspective, that's great. They come away with Boston. They come away now. We're not far from a 16th team is what it seems like. And they've had this interest, right? So um, I think the the overall picture from a league perspective is very good. I think the market is is one that is among the best they could have selected, certainly for, for a variety of reasons, including this TV situation, a top 10 media market. Um, and, you know, the California thing, I think uh, – was it not you and I weren't talking about this offline? Was it was it um, somebody mm. else? But you know, I remember somebody laying a map over California and, and <laughs> you know, relative to New York to Philadelphia to Washington, right? So yep. I, I don't think that we can look at California as this monolith, as I've written. The the markets are different. I was out there in LA and San Diego for opening weekend. Those are like two different worlds and and they're far enough apart, especially in traffic. So I've rambled enough here, Becky, but um I think it's it's a positive for the league, certainly. And, you know, all signs point to this group and is is doing things in a way that we would expect that this would be a successful market and, and run professionally. So this this brings up a, a whole slew of questions. I, I absolutely agree that I think instead of questioning why there are three California teams in such quick secession, we should be asking why there weren't California teams before this. Um, I mean, probably some of that has to do with the expense of the area, but I mean, that's a area that in the country is probably the the richest in terms of women's soccer culture. So, I mean, it's really just a matter of time and the league catching up to that, in my opinion. Like you said, California is so huge that, 
you know, that's filling in spots on the West Coast, adding the Bay Area that that are necessary. In terms of this investment, because in addition to the $53 million expansion fee, that's just part of a full, um, a fully announced $125 million investment. The, the um, Sixth Street has invested in this Bay Area team that will also cover building a training facility and um, building out staff and infrastructure, um, according to, to your article in Equalizer. Yeah, that's a lot of money. And as you said, you know, the expansion fee was in, inflated to some degree due to this massive amount of bidding because it's it's the hot thing now to own an NWSL team. <laughs> Is this sustainable? You know, that $53 million fee when mm. everybody's trying to get in, you know, do you think that that's going to just keep going up and up and up? Or do you think that mm. we're kind of like... Not that the bubble's going to burst, but that we're kind of peaking and then we're going to maybe go down a little bit as things cool off a little bit. Or do you do you think mm. that we're just on a sustained climb now where investment's just going to get mm. bigger and bigger and bigger? That's a good question. I, I don't think we're at the peak, no. Um, I think at a minimum, right? So, so Bay Area, Boston paid, um, my impression is the same thing coming in at the same time or, or being approved at the same time, Boston, when they're coming is still a significant question, but um, you know, so, so now we, we basically know that 16 is, is expected to happen. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to say is going to happen, but, but to be at an even number to go to 16 teams to, to pair a team with Boston when it, you know, when it does come in. Um, and, and I asked commissioner Jessica Berman this week, I said, do you stop at 16? And she said outright that there's not a cap. They're not going to cap it at 16. She doesn't say outright that we will go past 16. But I think if you if you read her answer um, that, that we have in our article on EqualizerSoccer.com, that like the it's it's very clear to me, and maybe just because I was in the conversation, like all of the reasons to go beyond 16 are very clear to the league, um, the business side of it. Just to your point of where does this go? Um, I, I, let me start with the player side of it was the one that she pointed out of being able to continue to have enough space for the world's best players on on rosters. I, I would argue you have the space for that, and actually you need some of these existing teams to spend more money, or maybe you need to expand the salary cap, or you know. But fourteen teams, I mean, there are enough roster spots there to go and attract. To, to have every team attracting a world-class, multiple world-class players. But that's a different conversation. I won't derail us. But the other piece of it, I think we have, I don't think NWSL, and, and this is you know a divisive, maybe polarizing topic among executives and people around it, are, you know, MLS in many ways provides a model, right? It's, it's that single entity model. So it, the NWSL has been operating the same way as a business a lot of the time. Um, they use a lot of the same... Byzantine rules, as I like to use the term for, for their very clunky way of operating sometimes. Um, and, and this expansion piece is there too, right? That we're, this is like everything that happened in MLS 10 years delayed or so. And, and MLS went from all of a sudden there was some expansion interest and, and they were at this inflection point. And now we're sitting here today. You know, how many times it was, has Don Garber been asked, what's the cap? And, and at some point it was, you know, we went from 18 to 20 to 22, 24, and, and they expect to add a 30th team this year and they still won't say that they're done. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, and part of that is the fees went from basically nothing or minuscule to, you know, 
hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollars. And I don't know if if that's where the NWSL is in in five or ten years at those multiples. Um, but I think certainly when they start, they go to market for team number sixteen. They've got plenty of people who were interested already, and they go to them and say, "Well, we know you know what you were offering. We liked some of it, whatever. But now the fee's gone up." So that's all very interesting, and I think that's going to tie into a lot of the conversation we have in the second half of the show. But tying it just back specifically to Bay Area again, changing topics a little bit. The other thing that you pointed out that I I really wanted to get back to is the, you know, Allie Wagner in this group was ready a year ago to enter the league. And now the, you know, they've been delayed. They've been delayed. Now they have less than a year out from the announcement to start playing, to establish a a home base, to do everything that they want to do. Do you think they have enough time or do you think the fact that they've been working on this for, you know, probably well over a year now means that they've just been doing the background work. It hasn't been announced yet. So I guess my question is like, do you you think they're going to be fully prepared to, to come right in and enter the league in 2023 with all the questions that we still have about this club? I do. Yeah. I think, you know, I would say the, the, the takeaway from my interviews for, for that article that, that we have is, is, you know, from talking to Allie, from talking to Jessica Berman, like, you know, they felt they were ready a year ago, mm-hmm. but a year ago, they did not have Sixth Street, right? They didn't have the investment. So um, that Sixth Street came along in the fall. So, you know, as much as they felt they were ready a year ago, they they probably, I mean, this was not explicitly said to me, but I think they were ready in a way that was not necessarily future proof, right? They didn't have the, they they were ready for a world in which the fee was probably going to be $10 million and the investment was going to be whatever level. So, so they were ready in that capacity, I think, but, but I do think that they are prepared. Um, you know, I, I think the things that we might look at and say, well, they don't have a brand. Well, I think, I think we're going to buy all interviews and, and I think they have a brand and that we're going to see it soon. You know, we don't have an official stadium. I mean, I started talking to them about this this bid almost two years ago at this point. I mean, I guess it's not official still of pen to paper, but like if they're playing anywhere other than PayPal Park in San Jose where the earthquakes play, I would be absolutely shocked. I think that is some version of of lined up, right? And then to be talking about a training facility as that big investment out of the gate is really important because – it's the day-to-day life of players. I think too many teams have not thought enough about it. And you see the problems that created in places like, uh, well, for OO rain and multiple parts of that market for the Washington spirit, which are still, who are still figuring it out. Um, Other teams that have some questions and even, you know, San Diego and Los Angeles, where again, like San Francisco or Bay area land is not cheap and, and they have sort of temporary solutions. And I, I would think they would both tell you that, the permanent solutions have taken longer than they would have liked. So, um, you know, I think that they have a lot of these pieces lined up and I would say this, they didn't, they didn't come to this agreement with the league has been 53 million without some real vetting of, of these things. Right. So sure. um, that's, that's where I, I think they're, they're in a good spot. So one thing that I think it, we need to talk about in terms of when we're talking about expansion and you kind of touched on this a little bit about, you know, the the training facilities and how, you know, there are vast differences across the league about what um, amenities are provided to players. 
we keep talking about expansion. Oh, we're going to go to 16 teams. We're going to go beyond that. But I mean, I think the question is, are all the existing teams going to survive? So is it going to be true expansion? Are we going to keep expanding out? Or are we also going to have to be backpedaling a little bit and filling in spots as teams? I would say probably inevitably at least one or two of them get sold and potentially move. Yeah. So, I mean, look, the, uh, I think there's a lot to figure out here, right? And, and, a piece of this conversation that we're having too, you know, I've heard this from different people in, in reporting on expansion. And obviously there's two teams for sale right now, Chicago and Portland still. And, you know, there's an interesting dynamic here. We we're talking about what's the market, what's the future. You've got a team paying $53 million to get into this league with a new entry. I don't know. I, I think Portland would fetch that or more. I, I don't have too much information on a price tag of Chicago right now, but I don't think they're getting 53 million for the Chicago Red Stars the way, and, and we'll talk about markets that really need some work probably after the break. But, um, you know, so, so now you have a dynamic where you've got this pent up demand. And, you know, if I'm somebody, I mean, I wish I was somebody with that much money, <laughs> but if I'm somebody with, with all this money and, and obviously these are shrewd business people, I think that's a point to make about Sixth Street coming in. Like this is not mom and pop stuff. This is not even somebody with like the charity view. This is not, I've got women's soccer background. This is an investor group that invests in all sorts of things, including, you know, San Antonio Spurs, like sports properties and said, Actually, there's a real business case here, so I think that's important. But you know, the, you look at this and say, well, 53, team 16. I don't know what the number is. Let's say it's 75. I, I, let's make that up, right? It's going to be higher. Mm-hmm. Why am I going to pay 75 million to start a team from scratch? I could go to Chicago or maybe a couple other markets, spend 30, 40, and and get a team that already has players, maybe some talented players, get some thing, get some incumbent assets. Or maybe just take, you know, whether I'm moving the team or not. So um, I think that there's there's an interesting dynamic there. Um, certainly it'll push some teams forward, but I, I think, yeah, there's there's a lot to to figure out there. And, and I think, you know, a piece of this conversation, it's not negative. It's, it's reality is we've got to talk about it, right? There, there is an increasing um, divide and gulf in this league. And it used to be you had Portland and everybody else. That shifted a little bit as time changed, but the the balance, the divide in the boardroom was always the ambitious, um, the, you know, the the people who wanted to spend more, who wanted to do more, were always outnumbered. And now, depending how you want to classify those things, I think you're in more of a 50-50 situation. And as you add these teams like Bay Area, I'm sure Boston, like anybody coming in the league is going to be coming in the league as part of that spend more, do more ambitious group maybe they don't agree on everything but um and, and that's going to have some real ramifications for you know in a good way for the league it has to happen that for those teams that are not doing it yeah absolutely and i think that basically we're at such an interesting tumultuous time as you know things are moving forward but it's raising more questions than it's giving answers I mean, I guess the the biggest answer we have now is, yes, the league is stable. As you said, it is being seen as a true business investment opportunity for growth, not a, a charity. So that's that's a big change. But there are a lot of questions about what the future of this league entails. And I think that we should discuss some of that after the break. 
So let's take a quick break. So don't go anywhere. And we will be right back. All right, we're back. And now let's take some time to talk about what we've kind of broached in the first half. And that is the health and sustainability of some of these clubs uh, that some of them have existed for a long time. Some of them haven't. But within the first two weeks of the NWSL regular season play, we've we've gotten some looks from a couple different metrics about how healthy and sustainable some of these clubs might be. Uh, attendance, I think, is the the first one that we tend to look at, even though I think that there are a lot of questions about that and a lot of factors that don't make it quite as straightforward. But on top of that, there's been a lot of news in the offseason in terms of investment that existing teams are putting in. Like, look at the Washington spirit and how much they're building up their staff and their infrastructure behind the scenes. Um, you know, and then there's there's other teams like, in in my mind, North Carolina and, and Chicago that are continuing to to struggle and just kind of toe the line and keep things as they've been as the rest of the league is to some degree, dashing ahead. So let's talk a little bit about the health and sustainability of some of these current clubs. So Jeff, what teams do you think, I don't want to say are the biggest worries, but maybe have the biggest questions about them from what we've seen so far in 2023? Yeah. I mean, I would say beyond 2023, right? I mean, I think we're, we're, you know, these are sustained sort of issues that, maybe have not necessarily gotten better or, or to a point that you need them to be. And I think that um, I think if you're the league, the worrisome thing is you've got some top five, top three, I mean, top one markets in that situation too. Right. I mean, yeah. um, I preface this by saying, yes, some of the, I mean, all of these situations are different for starters. Some of these teams have made investments. Uh, I mean, then the question becomes, have they done those in the right places? Are they making progress? Right. So that's the conversation I would put around Gotham where, you know, I mean, obviously they've had their struggles on the field. That doesn't help. doesn't help at all, especially in a big market like that. But, you know, I, I think for a lot of these teams, the question, this existential question that the league has needed to answer, what do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And, and in 10 years, the league has not really answered that. I think, under Berman's leadership now with an actual staff that's being hired and built out and, and, you know, even down to somebody specifically for branding. That's part of that question, I would say, or part of the answer to it. Like we're starting to actually have people asking that question in a way that, that it needs to be asked and answered in the long term. But, you know, if you're Gotham, what do you want to be? Right. I mean, yes, you need to start winning some games, but, um, you know, right down to the, are we New Jersey? Are we New York? You know, yep. we want, we want to be in both cups kind of, you know, I think history has proven, you know, other than legacy teams of, of a giants jets, you know, we play at the Meadowlands, you know, that, that, that hasn't really worked. And I, I guess I say that more specifically to look at the Red Bulls. Um, so what are you trying to be? Who are you trying to, to attract as, as a fan? And, and I think they're addressing that with, things like um, player comfort, player health and safety, player, you know, happiness, I guess is the way to put it, um, which I, I know 
GM Yael Averbush has talked about, Averbush West has talked about a lot. Um, so I, I think those things are being addressed from, you know, from the actual sort of uh, marketing even is is too specific of a word, but just like the actual club identity and, and sustainability. Um, I still don't know where they necessarily go because I don't know that Red Bull is nice of a place that it is. And as much as that was the step, right? Just like the rain conversation, some others like a step was taken, right? Tacoma had to happen for the rain because otherwise they would have been gone from Seattle or Pacific Northwest period. Then they realized that wasn't the right step or sustainable long-term back to Seattle. I'd still wonder even if Lumen is the long-term or if this stadium, this memorial, you know, renovation that's happening needs to be the answer. But I think Red Bull had to happen. Get out of Rutgers had to happen. Is that the answer long-term? Is the answer long-term getting into the five boroughs when New York City FC finally builds this elusive stadium, you know, in in who knows what, you know, it's supposed to be a few years from now, but it probably means 10 years from now. But um, I, so I have that question about Gotham. I've talked a lot about Chicago. You know, somebody's going to come in and buy that team. And I don't think, I think that, Chicago in many ways is like the most ripe for relocation because of its stadium situation. I know people disagree with me about that. I know that people um, who, who might look to buy the team who are interested, whatever you want to call it, that, that there are people with money who think that they can make that stadium situation work and maybe they can, you know, I would say the Chicago fire thought that too. And, and, you know, look where they are. Right. So, um, I don't know that that's a sustainable thing there, but I also don't think that, especially with out to media rights, again, trying to sell the league that Berman or anybody else is going to let, let them have a, uh, a big knock of, Oh, we had to leave Chicago. So, uh, you know, but I, I think whoever buys that has, has a real problem to address that requires hundreds of millions of dollars and political pull probably to, to solve Bridgeview. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned North Carolina. I think, um, well, I know, look, WakeMed is not a long-term solution for this league. If this league is going where it expects to be, if and all the signs that we're talking about here with the Bay Area, as an example, with LA, San Diego, what Kansas City is doing, the signs are there, right? What's going on, you know, the, the stadium setup, the fan turnout, all of these factors, it's not sustainable in in North Carolina. And part of that is how much are you spending, investing, right? And I know that they looked into a downtown Raleigh stadium. Maybe that could solve it. It doesn't look like that's happening. It hasn't looked like that's happening. So how do you solve that? And and they're not a lot like the, that's not an exhaustive list. I mean, Orlando has still not made that market care about the pride in a way that in a volume that they needed to, a scale that they needed to. Um Houston is trying to make progress. You're in Louisville. You know it better than I do that there's potential there. There's obviously the facilities that you need, but those numbers need to be better. So mm-hmm. it's not that all of these teams could fold or relocate. I think certainly a couple of them might need to relocate, but they need to figure things out. And some of that's money and and some of that's much more than money. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because as you say, there's no way the league is going to, not have there be a team in New York or Chicago in some capacity in my mind uh, because of the the market size and and what it would sound like to to leave those markets. Um, but they are teams that 
that have some of the biggest problems and could probably do the best with relocation. I mean, not counting North Carolina, who I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, I, I wrote write primarily about Louisville. I know a lot about the team, and I mean, I really feel like they're kind of currently straddling a widening crevasse where they can get one foot if they get attendance up and be on the growing, you know, evolving, booming NWSL side, or if, if they don't, then they are going to have one foot stuck on the wrong side. And, and I don't know, sell the team, get a super league team instead when that starts, because they're so tight with the USL. But I mean, Louisville has things that other teams don't have you know they do have the amazing training facilities they do have the amazing stadium um they need fewer people in to make a profit because they do own their stadium i think that they're profitable after five thousand people are in there and they're even with their dropped numbers they're very close to that um so you know they're not a a a team that is ever going to equal the numbers of, you know, San Diego or Angel City, but they're also not a metro area that is even remotely the size of that. And that raises a lot of questions. I mean, I definitely think that currently right now Louisville is, is fine and they're mostly rolling from the scandal. And if they start winning, which they definitely seem to be a better team on the pitch than they have been, then they will at least make up to where they were if, if not surpass it. And I think they probably will surpass it, but I mean, so much rides on how they do this season. Um, I also do think that they're going to have to get other big money investors in if, if they're going to continue to go. I mean, yes, they, they own the land is much cheaper in Louisville and they, they do have wealthy investors. I mean, there are wealthy people in Kentucky. I know people don't believe that, but if they can get some more investment, then I think that they'll be pretty solid. But I mean, where do you think that teams would relocate to? What markets do you think that are the most ripe for the picking right now that um, might make up for some of these losses in other areas? Like, where do you think the league hmm. would most want to get into right now? Yeah. Um, well, I'd say too, just a quick note, like the 5,000 number. I mean, that's what roughly like, Gotham says as well as a break even. So as empty as Red Bull, you know, arena can look, I, I would imagine, you know, these, these sort of break even numbers are low enough, right. Mm-hmm. In, in Orlando. And, and to your point, the, what we've talked about, like attendance is not the only thing. I mean, you know, that that's great. I mean, if 5,000, you know, can break even on a given day to open the stadium and rent it, that's great. Um, it's still not what you need, right. It's not, the environment you need. I mean, it's not sustainable. Being, yeah. Yeah. Being out in LA and San Diego, you know, it's happening now more in uh, Kansas city who's building a stadium. I mean, you want an example of investment building a stadium and a, a training facility, the first stadium built for an NWSL team. Um, you know, the spirit, as you said, getting fully in the Audi field, getting out of that miserable, horrible setup with Segra, um, you know, investing in staff, obviously Michelle Kang, $35 million, valuation that really I would say almost was the spark to to some of these valuations that we're talking about um so so it's happening um you know as far as uh, look let me say up front I, I, anybody listening to this getting mad or something like I don't wish relocation upon anybody um I don't wish I certainly don't wish any team to fold but certainly the 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 conversation here is about the whole league right and and this this gulf we've talked about the divide so um as far as where Becky, I mean, 
the list is so long, like seriously, 60 plus non-disclosure agreements. That's, you know, I mean, you know, I think you've got your usual players that I think were somewhat reported in terms of what are markets that suggest that they would support a team. I would caution that, you know, we're going to have this weekend, the, the women, the U S women's national team are back in, in Austin. Right. And, and we see this like U S comes to town, big crowd, the locals, especially amazing. Let's write about how this could be, uh, right for an NWSL team. Like it could be the U S women's national team coming to town is not your barometer for whether you can put butts in the seats and, and make people care year round and for 12 plus games a year. But, um, you know, I think Austin's in that conversation, Cincinnati, um, you know, the, the one that I kind of chuckle at at this point, just for the, the, just from being on the inside, like Atlanta, I think would be a great market. Um, whether that's expansion or relocation or otherwise. I've also, this is year five, maybe six that I've, you know, I've heard about Atlanta. I, I've, I think it was four years ago. I told some, you know, good sources told me Atlanta was coming in. They're coming, they're coming, they're coming. Right. And it's, you know, Arthur Blank's got to write the check. I mean, that's the bottom line. I think the market's there. They've got to build a facility. And, and then, you know, whether you want to call them reasons or excuses, I mean, you know, they have other pieces of a business. In this example, they've got the Falcons, they've got Atlanta United. And, you know, obviously those are priorities in a way that maybe adding an NWSL team have not been. And and sure, they they might want the team, but several rounds of expansion later and, and always being quote unquote at the front of the line, it hasn't happened. So what does that mean? Um, so I, I think those are good markets. Again, not an exhaustive list. I mean, you mentioned the Super League. I think that's going to be a factor here for a lot of places, a lot of, a lot of maybe mid-major market types that want to be in on this, that a lot of investors that don't want to, you know, the USL is not going to go asking for 53 million or more, right? At least not right now. So um, the entry point will be lower, but maybe people see a ceiling that's higher or, or at least, you know, from an investment, um, you know, matrix that it makes more sense. So I think you've got to look at this from, it's not just well the NWSL might be looking for one more team soon it's what we said maybe maybe there's a couple other teams that somebody wants to buy and keep them or move them keep them there or move them and then you've got a dozen or so entry points for the USL Super League i mean the demand is there and i think the the opportunities are going to be there too so going back to something you said a little bit earlier is you know it's not just investment it's how teams are investing um you know what what are they putting their effort into to try and keep up and stay with things because you know gotham and orlando at least if you look at social media they have some of the highest followers highest engagement of any team and yet they're on the bottom end of attendance so yeah they they have great engagement they have great brands i mean gotham especially that that people like to to engage with at least through social media but what they're not getting butts in the seats so what what do teams really need to focus on to catch up with some of these you know, more advanced, more heavily invested in clubs. And we touched on this in the first half. And I mean, I definitely think that 
the biggest thing, at least right now, is probably training facilities and infrastructure for players because that will create happy, better players. It'll create a better place for them to go to, which will build a better team and put a better product on the field. Um, I mean, one thing, uh, the disparities that exist in this league still kind of shocks me to a certain extent. You know, I think that everybody kind of has in their mind, oh, you know, this is a professional league. Everybody at least has a certain bar. And in a recent chat with uh, Carson Pickett, it kind of still took me, I don't know, by, by surprise when she said that it wasn't just racing's training facilities that were so great for her. It was the fact that they actually had a gym. The, the players didn't have to go and either find their own gym or travel to a gym just somewhere else who knows how far away in order to exercise. And often they would just be exercising against, you know, the general public. This is a professional team. This is a player who's had caps on the national team that has won two consecutive back-to-back World Cups. And she's impressed by the fact that racing has a gym. I mean, that shows just how vastly different things are in in this league between the clubs. So, I mean, my, I would say that the thing that clubs need to invest in is a home base and a training facility for mm-hmm. their players, even if they have to rent a stadium. And we talked about earlier how we think Bay Area is is doing that. In your mind, what do clubs who might be on the the more questionable side of sustainability, what do you think they need to really put their money into in order to to catch up or at least keep the pace with mm. um, some of the top clubs. Well, let, let's be explicit too. I mean, I, I've reported this, I think, within an article, and maybe it was in behind our paywall. But like North Carolina has, I mean, by all by all accounts, and I've been there many times. Like the WakeMed complex as like a training complex, the fields and whatnot is re- is really nice. I mean, you know, it might not have certain things it needs for a pro environment but just as a comparison like you're talking about the bars the rain moved back to starfire this year or to starfire i guess i should say but used to play there as a home venue i don't think people understand what tacoma looked like for them mm-hmm. from a day-to-day perspective i mean we we all complain about the the baseball field that they played games on you're talking about not having a gym they they were in the high school yep. next to that baseball field. They took a high school classroom that you might sit in and and learn calculus and converted it to a gym. And they and they'd go into the hallway and you know, they're like next to these I mean, they're in their own <laughs> section and everything, but like, you know, they converted one of those classrooms and you know, the next one over they're they're learning about history or something. So, and, and they'd walk across the parking lot to go get training and, and, you know, get their, uh, get their ankles wrapped. I mean, it's absurd. You know, it was, if not the worst, certainly a, among the worst setups of day to day life in, in the league. And they had to improve it and they did. And, and the Lumen Field move was obviously a lot of money. But, um, you know, the, the Washington Spirit, I think, were in a, a very similar boat of, of problematic situation. I mean, we ran a story about it, about their changes and improvements in preseason. Aubrey Kingsbury told told our site she compared it to a team that was homeless that last mm-hmm. last year or the previous years because they'd they would just drive around to different training sites. They they'd have to get changed somewhere, then drive somewhere else to actually train. I mean, so so the bar is low there. I'm, I don't want to derail us. <laughs> I mean, the, the general answer to your question, I think you're right. Training facilities, 
very high on the list. It has to be. That's the day-to-day life. And, and to your point, it being a home base, yeah, yeah. Put your offices there. Put your your front office there. Um, I think you've got to be future-proof in a way that, like, these owners coming in or, or you know, owners there already that need to be willing to spend, you have to anticipate a jump in cost of players. And obviously, the salary cap is written into – um, the CBA that that was signed last year, but um, what what does that look like? Does allocation money blow through the roof so that everybody can go get you know a few more big time players, and then you have to keep up? Like you've got to be ready for that. And then I would say, you know, again, these are kind of general buckets, but you have to invest in staff to get these all of these things that we're talking about—the marketing problems, the ticket sales. Um, you know, you mentioned social media and digital and teams that are doing it right. Um, it's not a coincidence that Angel City has scaled up like this. Yes, they're in LA. Um, they've also spent a ton of money on the people that are doing these things in way, you know, they have 90 plus people on staff full time. That is, I'm guessing a little bit here because I don't know the staff size of every team, but for some of the more lean, leanly staffed, um, the lean staff teams, you know, that's, I'm going to say at least triple. Mm-hmm. Some of them would be my guess. Oh, I think definitely. To have 90 plus full-time people on staff. And that is why, to some degree, that is a big factor and why they are able to attract fans, to make money, to be so relevant. And not every market is LA. We don't have to compare everything to Angel City all the time. No, but compare what they're doing there to these, these junior level sort of jobs. Um, not even, I mean, they're hiring junior level entry level people some of these teams for higher up jobs that require more experience to to do them and they require help and staffing underneath these people that don't you know it doesn't exist in many cases and there's a reason i mean this is stuff people don't see when we're talking about games and x's and o's and all that like some of these teams are revolving doors for staff mm-hmm. and and it's because they don't pay a lot they're not great places to work in some cases and you that is maybe you can't always like tangibly connect the dots to say, well, that's why you get 4,000 people a game and, and you can't be relevant in your market. But to some degree, yeah, it is because you don't have enough people selling tickets. You don't have enough people marketing. You don't have enough people in all these departments and it, it catches up with you. So um, or you're not paying them enough to keep them or paying them enough to get the enough in some cases, again, I'm not blanketing this to everybody, but the right talent to do a certain job. So, I mean, I, I would say that's a huge point of emphasis. You talk about the spirit and the way they're building out their staff. I mean, I think they're they're spending some crazy amounts of money in some cases, right? But, they're. I mean, you have to go do that. Um, the spirit, LA, some other markets. I mean, look at um, – what was the thread that we we just had on Twitter there with the job postings and and I mean I appreciate the Kansas transparency. City is hiring a lot of people too. Yeah, and you can't take those at face value necessarily, but you've got the league posting vice president level jobs. I think Angel City's had had a uh, salary listed as a range. You're talking about places listing six figure ranges upward. I mean, I think the Angel City one listed like two hundred thousand for a VP of. Um, it's escaping me, but you know, whether somebody's worth that or not, but like, and then you have, I would say curiously clubs that fall into the bucket of not spending enough, not staffing enough. 
You've got job listings that don't list the salary at all. Raise your eyebrow a little bit to that when you compare it to others that that have a listing and have it in six figures. So, you know, that's a place where I would say that's like the the thing you never see as a fan or sh- maybe shouldn't, whatever you want, however you want to phrase it. The p- places, clubs need to spend on that. And if they're not, that's where all of these other tangible, visible things come through that we're talking about now with attendance problems, all these other things. You, you've got to spend some money. You have to spend money to make money. And again, I mean, I, of course look at a lot of things through the lens of racing just because it's a team that I know the most about. But I mean, I agree. I think one of their biggest problems consistently has been that everything is split between racing and loose city when it comes to a stadium and facilities. Yay. That's awesome. They both have matching everything when it comes to staff and you have ticketing staff working for both teams and it's easier to make money off, uh, make a commission off loose city because they have historically been a more winning team than I mean, how can you really make sure your ticketing staff isn't focusing all their time on loose city? You know, that those end up being issues and maybe one reason why racing hasn't been able to grow as fast. But on top of that, I mean, I I think the thing that will be a big difference maker for racing or or won't, we'll have to see, but has the potential to be a big difference maker is the hiring of Ryan Dell as a dedicated GM, because finally racing has someone in, in a strong leadership position who is only working for racing and will be able to hopefully point out and manage some of these discrepancies and give the team the, the mm-hmm. sole focus that it needs. So, yeah, I, I know we've gone long. I don't, I don't want to you know, <laughs> make us go longer. I just think that's an interesting, we could do a whole nother pod, I think on that because the Portland was so successful, really mm-hmm. the only for a while there, right? Like the only team that really at a scale was successful. And then the entry points for a Houston Orlando were let's try to copy Orlando, right? Or sorry, Portland. Mm-hmm. And and it didn't it didn't work. And and there were reasons for that. And then some of those teams, those two teams in particular have sort of slowly had to, as you said, there sort of ungroup and and find dedicated staff for their women's team because they need them to operate in different different ways. And and I think that's, you know, if we're tying this back to the beginning, the Bay Area, another quote unquote independent group. And I think you look at that as a trend. Um, I don't think MLS, I mean, they're coming in with Utah, which is attached to an MLS team, but even the Utah, you know, Utah is in the league. It was a good market. I'm not taking anything away, but like they came in and at a major discount because of a deal that was written three years ago, two years ago now. So, um, you know, I just think that's an interesting trend of, People thought because Portland was successful that it, it worked and that you should pair the teams. And actually, we've, through these 10 years, learned that that's maybe not the best way to go. And we've gone the other way, that mm-hmm. these groups in L.A., San Diego, Bay Area, they might have friendly relationships with an MLS team, but they're not directly tied to them. And, and they're, So I, I think that's an interesting trend that you know we could go another, uh, another hour on, but um, it's, it's <laughs> one to watch. Absolutely. And you're right. We could talk about this forever, but I think it's about time that we wrap up today's show. So thank you everybody for listening. And thank you so much, Jeff, for co-hosting today. And of course, we'd like to give special thanks to our distributor, Blue Wire Podcasts, and our producer, Jacqueline Purdy. For Equalizer, I'm Becky Morgan, and we'll be back soon with more on the Equalizer podcast. Equalizer podcast.